there, Wonderlings. Angela Bowen here, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. Well, I thought I'd do something a little fun because it is Teacher Appreciation Week. I thought I would uh, upload some episodes, re-upload some episodes, actually, um, in appreciation of Kevin Arnold's teachers. Now, we're going to do this in two different parts. The first one is going to, of course, contain two episodes. The second part is going to contain two episodes. The first part, from Season 2, Episode 2, entitled Our Miss White. Kevin gets a crush on his English teacher, Miss White, who convinces him to play Robert Kennedy in a play she has written about Martin Luther King Jr. Only he's having trouble getting her to see him as more than a 7th grader. And the next episode of this little duo here, because it's going to be two episodes in one, let me find it. Here it is. Season 3, episode 20. We are jumping way ahead. In, in this episode is entitled Goodbye. Kevin's grades in Mr. Collins' math class are not that good. After talking to Kevin, Mr. Collins suggests that he could give him extra lessons to help him on the upcoming test. Kevin seems to be getting better until one day when Mr. Collins fails to show up. Both are great episodes, and both these teachers have such an impact on Kevin. Of course, part two, which I will release uh, this week, will be season three, episode 16, entitled The Glee Club. The eighth grade boys' glee club can't seem to carry a tune, but a new teacher named Miss Haycock is determined to rectify that. And then also, let me find the episode. I know what's in here. Kodachrome? I always get this one. It's probably not even how you pronounce it. But this is from Season 5, Episode 13. Kevin's English teacher, Miss Shaw, has some rather unorthodox methods of teaching. While the class enjoys these new methods, they don't sit well with the school board. So, that one will be released, Part 2. That will be released tomorrow so look for that I just thought it seems like teacher appreciation week unless you're I guess a teacher or a student or stuff and unless you're following Instagram it's like for me that would have passed me by but I'm like no I want to recognize even though they're fictional characters these teachers in Kevin Arnold the fictional character that had an impact on his life and us too as we remember this show the wonder years we all i'm sure at one point in time had a teacher that must have had an impact on us i know i did i had several that were there for me when i really needed somebody to talk to and somebody who was there to boost me up when i was feeling low and give me the confidence that i sorely lacked so here is part one i hope you all enjoy it and the thing is, after all these years, I still look back with wonder. Greetings, Wonderlings. I'm your host, Angela Bowen, and welcome to another episode of Looking Back at My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. Today, I will be discussing Season 2, Episode 2, Our Miss White, which aired on December 8, 1988. 
I hope you guys are ready for the weekend. Did you all have a wonderful week? <clears throat> Excuse me. I've been listening to a new podcast this week. It's called Three Day Rental. It talks. Uh, it's got a two-person host uh, where they talk about movies. They review movies. It's freaking hilarious. Has me laughing my butt off. I've pretty much since Monday gone through almost all of their episodes. I can't wait for them to put more up. Um, you know, it's like so nice to be having something to laugh my butt off to at work because it seriously makes a day go by quicker. Other than that, I've been busy working on my three podcasts, Punky Power, an unofficial Punky Brewster podcast, this podcast, the Wonder Years podcast, and my new podcast, which debuted on Wednesday, called Tea Time with Mr. Belvedere, a Mr. Belvedere podcast, which I did upload onto the Wonder Years podcast SoundCloud page for you guys to all listen to. So check it out if you haven't already. All right. Well, I believe congratulations are in order for one Carlos Marin. Thank you, Carlos, again, for answering the weekly episode trivia question correctly. For season two, episode two, Our Miss White, which was the question in who did Kevin play in the production of Martin Luther King Jr.? And the answer was Robert Kennedy. Carlos, I'm once again making you an honorary wonderling of the week. Thanks again, Carlos, for playing. All right, guys, let's get into Season 2, Episode 2, Our Miss White, which I said aired on December 8th, 1988. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm coughing a little bit here and there. Uh, in this episode, we see Kevin develop a crush on his teacher, Miss White, who convinces him to audition for the part of Robert Kennedy in a play she has she has written about Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement. Only he's having trouble getting her to see him as more than a 7th grader. Don't worry, guys. This does not result in a Mary Kay Letourneau situation. Thank goodness, because Kevin is too young to be a daddy. Speaking of, while I was searching how to spell her name properly, to my surprise yesterday, I saw the headline that their 12-year marriage... Mary Kay Letourneau and Vinny, I can't tell you how to pronounce his last name, their 12-year their marriage has ended after beginning their relationship 20 years ago. And they have two daughters, a 20-year-old and an 18-year-old. Oh, my gosh. And to think, he was like 12 or 13 when this all started, like, over 21 years ago. I would have been, like, right around his age. I was in junior high. <clears throat> we start the episode in where else? School. It seems that's how we start most of these episodes lately, don't we? The kids are watching a film strip on Martin Luther King Jr. And the kids are very solemn, especially Miss White, who we see at the end of the film has tears in her eyes. Adult Kevin comes on to narrate that 1968 was a strange and passionate time. Things that had seemed impossible were happening all around us. The events of those days brought every emotion to the surface. We see Miss White dressed in white. <laughs> She's dressed in white, by the way, looking very nice. She's got blue eyeshadow, big hoop earrings, a very pretty lady she is. And we can definitely get that from the expression on Kevin's face that he is smitten, no, in love, or maybe lust, with Miss White. 
She signals the end of the film, and the lights and window come up. She stands in front of the class and tells them, We certainly lost a great man last April, didn't we? Kevin goes on about the many virtues of Miss White in his mind. Her sensitivity, her warmth, her intelligence. As we see the camera pan down over Miss White's voluptuous body and stopping on her chest. Yeah, his mind is already headed south of the border. It's clear to see. Distracted, he doesn't hear when Miss White calls on him, asking if he agrees with another student's opinion that Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech changed people's opinion on civil rights. And he tells her, yes, yeah, yes, he does. She goes on to ask, how do you think it went on to change people's opinions? Kevin looks around, seeing nobody raise their hands and raises his, and Miss White calls on him. I think it showed a lot of people that America couldn't be as great as a country as they wanted until everyone had equal rights. She smiles at him and tells him, very good, Kevin. Kevin's inner monologue goes on to tell us how much he enjoys the special attention she gives him, the way she cocks her head and looks him in the eye. Like he feels a connection between them. She goes on to ask, what other effect do you think this speech had on people? And Kevin again raises his hand and she calls on him. And he goes on to say how he feels that African Americans weren't not viewed were viewed as a group that people didn't like, but after hearing the speech, they began to view them as people just like them. She gives him the look again, and then the bell rings and the kids get up to leave, but she has them sit back down because they have not officially been dismissed yet. That happened a lot like when I was in junior high and high school. Like, the bell would ring, and boom, we were, like, all up, ready to stampede out the damn door. I mean, I know, I'm guilty as such. I was told to sit my butt down, too. She informs them that today is the last day to sign up for the fall play, and there are many key roles still open, and the kid, then the kids, you know, they leave. They don't care. But she asks Kevin to stay behind and suggests that he try out, even though, you know, it's not his thing. He hates plays. I mean, we hear all of this going on in his mind. She tells him it's a play that's never been done before, and she actually wrote it. She tells him he'd be right for the role of Robert Kennedy because he has the right presence and asks if if he'll try if he'll try out. He mulls it over in his mind saying, you know, he hates plays, performing, fear of embarrassment on stage. And in the end he throws up his hands and says, Sure. He tells she tells him, see you tomorrow, and he smiles and leaves. Well, I wrote it. God, she was cute, but 
I hated plays. You'd be perfect for the part of Robert Kennedy. I really think that that you have the right presence. Well, I guess I did have kind of a Kennedy-esque thing about me, but I hated plays. So, what do you think? I hated the thought of acting. I hated the thought of rehearsing. I hated the thought of standing up in front of an audience of 300 people and making a complete and total fool of myself. Sure. Great. Three looks. The hat trick. It wasn't just my imagination. She felt it. She knew it. She wanted me too. Well, guess I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. See you tomorrow. Now it's dinner time at the Arnold house, and Jack asks Kevin, you know, he thought he hated, you know, I thought you hated plays. Why do you want to be in a play all of a sudden? Makes me think that Jack's worried he'll have to actually go to it, and he doesn't seem big on social interaction outside of the house. Norma asks what the play is about, and Kevin tells her it's called The Times They Are a Changing, a play about the civil rights movement. And I thought, you know, hey, I mean, that's just like the the song by Bob Dylan. Which, you know, I like that song. Jack says, whatever happened to my fair lady? That's musical. That's a musical, Jack. You'd rather see Kevin in that play. Not that there's anything wrong with it, of course. Karen butts in with, Dad, theater's supposed to be a form of political expression. Mm, not Not always. Not always, Karen. Gee, you know, and geez, Karen, does everything seriously have to be fucking politics with you? And Jack tells her, not when you're 12. Jack, I mean, I don't, I don't think politics has, has an age restriction, but, you know. Karen stands up saying, don't you understand? A play like this could really raise people's consciousness about racial oppression. Jeez. Norma tells her to watch her tone with her father. And Wayne adds, yeah, and give me that potato if you're not going to eat it. Wayne grabs, grabbing it off her plate. Wow, well, we, we haven't seen Wayne since the season one finale dance with me. And even then, he was only in that one scene where he was showing Kevin and Paul how to dance. Norma thinks it's wonderful, but then Kevin breaks the news that he has to rehearse every day until 5.30 and asks if Norma will be able to pick him up. But Norma tells him she's usually in the middle of fixing dinner at 5.30 and she asks Jack if he can pick Kevin up on the way home from school. Or on the way home from work. I'm sorry, guys. I meant Kevin's at school. Alright. Jack just asks Kevin again why he wants to be in a play. We hear Kevin's inner monologue asking himself why his dad can't understand that he's doing this play to get the attention of his 28-year-old teacher. She's 28? That's not... Too much uh, younger than, I mean, Norma, who's got to be, what, maybe 35, maybe closer to 40? That's the main reason why, you know, I couldn't do any after-school activities, because I didn't have someone to come pick me up afterwards. My dad worked till about 6, and my grandma was usually fixing dinner right around, you know, 4.35 o'clock for my grandpa when he got home. Kevin asks his dad for clarification, and he says, oh, okay. And Kevin's so excited, he pumps his arm in victory, like, yes! And the look on Jack's face is hilarious, like, he can see, you know, why this means so much to Kevin, who quickly just like, oh, uh, thanks! <laughs> Ain't it, please? 
Why do you want me in a plane all of a sudden? I don't know. No, Kevin. What plane is it? It's called The Times. They are changing. It's about the civil rights movement and stuff like that. The hell ever happened to my fair lady? Dad, theater is supposed to be a form of political expression. Not when you're 12. Don't you understand? I mean, a play like this can raise people's consciousness about racial oppression. Sheesh. Watch your tone with your father. Yeah, and give me that potato if you're not going to eat it. Kevin, I think it sounds wonderful. We have to rehearse until 5.30 every day. Um, can you pick me up? Oh, gee, I don't know. I'm right in the middle of fixing dinner at 5.30. Jack, you think maybe you could swing by school and pick him up on your way home? I don't get it. Why do you want to be in a play? What was the matter with the man? Couldn't he see that I was pursuing a mature love relationship with a beautiful 28-year-old woman, and all I needed was a ride? Dad. Okay, okay. Pick you up. Now we're in the auditorium and Miss White is going over the scene with Kevin as Robert Kennedy, telling him that in this particular scene, tensions were very high and reminds Kevin of Robert Kennedy's, excuse me, Robert Kennedy's personality, a very passionate and forceful man, and tells him to channel or feel that passion. Kevin looks so damn bored out of his mind, his chin is propped up by his hand, like he's really wishing he could reconsider his promise to perform in the play. She has him run through the scene again, with Paul sitting at the desk, so the setting is an office. One girl looks to be a secretary who Kevin walks up to, asking to see Mr. Hoover of the FBI. Kevin carries Robert Kennedy's accent very well. From the scene, it looks like Kevin as Robert Kennedy is telling Paul, playing, who's playing J. Edgar Hoover, that the African Americans are fighting for their rights, and Hoover shouts back, Are you telling me how to run my agency? All I'm saying is that we need to support Dr. King. And Hoover tells him that man is a threat, and Kennedy yells, No, he is not! He He's fighting for the cause of freedom as he slams his hand down on the desk. Miss White comes over, placing her hands on his shoulders. Uh, yeah, that's a big no-no there. Telling him it's wonderful and good anger. She also tells everyone else they're doing a good job as well. While her hands are still on Kevin's shoulders, and by the looks of it, he is loving every minute of this contact she's making with him. She tells... Them. Tomorrow they'll be rehearsing the town's meeting scene and for them to start learning their lines and dismisses, dismisses the students. Paul asks Kevin if he came off as unlikable and Kevin informs him, well, you're playing J. Edgar Hoover and he's supposed to be unlikable. Paul tells him he knows that Miss White said he should find the complexity in the man and Paul walks away re repeating, this man is a threat to the American way of life over and over in, in different ways, just trying to get the context of it. Guys, I'm learning, literally, when I was watching this episode, I was learning so much. I, I love history like this. I, you know, I wasn't around for this time, so it's, it's interesting to kind of see how crap went down back then. I didn't learn any of this in my classes, you know, I didn't study it, you know, mostly I was studying the American Revolution, the Civil War. In high school, it was the branches of government where we watched Footloose when I was a senior. This history just fascinate, fascinates me so much because I don't know 
much about it and all the changes that took place during this time. Kevin walks over to Miss White's desk and tells her, using Karen's line from dinner the previous night, about how he thinks this play can really raise people's consciousness about racial oppression. She asks him if he really thinks that, because that was her hope when she wrote the play. He tells her, yeah, he thinks that he's always thought of theater as a way of political expression. She tells him that's remarkable because so few 12-year-olds do. Kevin says, I know, most 12-year-olds are so superficial. She agrees by saying, yes, they are. This makes me wonder of today's 12-year-olds and how they feel about what's currently going on right now in the world. On my drive home from work last night, I thought of something, you know, about how much of a stickler that Mr. DePerna is. And, uh, you know, being he's the assistant principal, I don't think you'll ever see the actual principal of the school. Am I right? Well, I'm kind of surprised that he let her do a play about civil rights because he seems like the kind of guy who would shut any type of that kind of stuff down. Like when the kids plan to do a walkout coming up later on in the walkout episode, although that was in protest of Vietnam, which I can see how he would not want to allow that. Kevin's inner monologue tells how he thinks she doesn't see him as an ordinary 7th grader. She sees him as a man, a man who understood things like democracy and social injustice, a man who understood her deepest thoughts and feelings, a man who is getting picked up by his father as Jack comes walking into the auditorium. Slow your roll there, Kev. She does not see you as a man. She just sees you as a student. One who she enjoys discussing worldly political views with. And nothing more. Miss White asks if that's Jack, uh, Kevin's father. And Kevin says, yes. Jack smiles as he introduces himself. While shaking her hand, she introduces herself as Diane White. Aw, look. Oh, he smiled. You rarely see Jack smile on the show, I'm telling you. So it's kind of a fun surprise. Like, oh, he can smile. Kevin's surprised by her first name, Diane, internally arguing that it doesn't fit because to him, she was more, you know, Miss White to him. He doesn't really see her as anything else. Well, Kevin, that's probably because you see her as a teacher and not as an actual person who's just working at a job and has a life outside of school. I know I felt that way when I was young. The idea of a teacher being someone other than a teacher outside of school was preposterous to me. I remember when I first learned my second grade teacher's first name, and it was like I was seeing my teacher as someone who was more than just a teacher. And he was a really cool teacher. I'm not telling you his name either, because uh, he still has his profession. He's not a teacher anymore, but let's just say he moved up in the world. So he's doing he's doing a lot much more than what he, he did when he was a teacher, which, even though he was really cool. All right. She tells Jack that Kevin is an extraordinary young man, and it's a pleasure to have him in my class and, of course, in the play. Jack agrees. Yeah, he's a good kid. You see Kevin standing there nervously, getting more uncomfortable and frustrated by the minute. Like his dad is killing his one shot he had at impressing Miss White by referring to him as a kid. She tells Jack that Kevin is a natural actor. Yeah, that's funny, because I always thought he hated acting. 
Jack informs her. Kevin's mentally pushing Jack out the door before he embarrasses Kevin any further. Really? Miss White is surprised, and Jack tells her how in fourth grade, Kevin... Uh, you, you remember this, right, don't you? And he goes on to say how Kevin played Winnie the Pooh. Really? Winnie the fucking Pooh in fourth grade? Um, isn't that a little too old, then? I mean, that sounds better suited for, like, make kindergarten, second grade tops. Kevin keeps running his hand through his hair, stressing out, and on the looks of a, he's on the, like, he's on the looks of a breakdown. As Jack continues the story, how right in the middle of Winnie the Pooh's conversation to Piglet, in front of the whole school, his suit rips down the back. So, Jack, ready to go? Kevin shouts at Jack to keep him from further embarrassing him, and both Miss White and Jack stop talking and turn to look at him in surprise. I've never called my dad by his first name to his face. Oh, hold on a second, guys. I can't even call Jeremy's mom by her first name because it makes me uncomfortable. Plus, you know, I have an Aunt Janice, so that makes it super weird for me. Because that's Jeremy's mom's first name. I don't know, I just, I have an aversion to that. I remember when I was in third grade how my reading, I was in an out-reading class, and the teacher there, like, stopped teaching the class because I wasn't able, I was, I was really shy. And I think that personal level addressing someone like that to their face made me very uncomfortable. But she literally stopped the class until I did address her like that. She's like, you know, say my, you know, say my name. And I'm thinking, that, that's, that's sometimes too hard for me. Um, Kevin quickly corrects himself saying, I mean, dad, Mr. Dad, sir. father. Oh, Kevin, is that your father? <laughs> yeah. Jack Arnold, nice to meet you. Hi, Diane White. It's a pleasure. Diane White? Didn't seem to fit. To me, she was more of a Miss White. Now, I must tell you, Mr. Arnold, that Kevin is an extraordinary young man. It's a pleasure to have him in my class, and of course, in the play. Yeah, he's a good kid. Yeah. Let's face it, I was well-liked. Now, now let's go. He's really a natural actor. Yeah? That's funny, because I always thought he hated acting. Let's go, let's go. Really? Yeah. You see, in uh, fourth grade, uh, Kevin, you remember that? In fourth grade, he had to play Winnie the Pooh in his class play. And right in the middle of his big scene with Piglet, in front of the whole school, all the parents, his little bear suit splits wide open. So, Jack, ready to go? In the next scene, we've progressed along in the week to the point now it's the end of the week in rehearsals and Kevin internally mentions how something was bugging him. And we see Kevin lazily delivering his lines like he gives no fucks in the world. All the while doing this, he's tossing his hands about at his sides like the damn kid from the live version of The Jungle Book that came out last year who was tossing his hands up as he was talking and it was so damn irritating. Kind of like that. 
Seriously, Kevin, stop talking with your hands. Stop being a jerk about this. You're wasting everyone's time, especially Miss White's. He's just worried because she hasn't given him the quote-unquote look, head tilt slash smile, all week. Then we see Jack, and for a second I um, look at him like, what, what, what's he doing? Oh, he's, he's supposed to be picking him up. That's right. Oh, I forgot. She gets up shaking Jack's hand, and Kevin asks if that was, you know, Miss White, was that okay? And, she, you know, she tells him, you know, she looks back at her students and says, you know, very good. That's that's it for today. And then she turns back around and continues talking to Jack. You know, I bet she just wants some adult conversation. She's around kids all damn day, 40 hours a week. She needs a break for sanity's sake to talk to another human being around her age. We get Kevin's inner monologue about how he thinks his dad is telling her about the time at Ocean City, when that tidal wave pulled his bathing suit off, or the time at Funland when he threw up on the cup and saucer ride. So I take it Funland, it's just like, uh, you can't, you know, don't have the right to say Disneyland, so I'll say Funland. Instead, he hears Jack tell her how he spent two years in Korea, and Jack thinks to himself how Jack never spent two years in Korea. Kevin... Your dad's being a typical guy right now, okay? Like a peacock fluffing up his feathers, impressive female. He's you know, bragging a little bit, you know. Everyone else has heard the story. She's never heard the story. Let him tell the story, right? He tells her how he got some shrapnel in his leg, but he didn't think that the limp was noticeable anymore. She tells him it's hardly barely at all noticeable and Jack goes on to say how a lot of his buddies never made it out of the war. Miss White tells him how war is a terrible thing isn't it? Kevin interrupts asking Miss White was I okay today? And she tells him he was fine. She asks Jack in the ex uh, in the exper if the experience haunts him and he nervously tells her well sure I, I think about it every now and then. She really wants to know all about it, delving into his psyche and all. Is it even appropriate to ask someone that, I mean, I was, you know, aware that I, you're not really supposed to ask them what, what not over there because they can't talk about it because of what it, you know, does to people. I've never lived that. Or maybe it just depends on the person, if they're comfortable. You know, maybe that's just a now thing. I'm not sure. Jack tells her it's only natural that... Nothing's, it's only natural that nothing's quite the same after going through something like that. Kevin gets angry when he sees Miss White give Jack the look he thought was only meant for him. Dad, let's go, Kevin whines. Great, Kevin, now you know what you look like, a whiny little kid. Granted, you know, I know, I was guilty of this when I was a kid. I was always impatient when my dad was talking to someone and I wanted to go, but I usually would just honk the horn several times. I'm not proud to say I was doing this back when I was Kevin's age, but I was. Now Kevin and Jack are home. They're in the backyard, tossed around with the baseball, and Kevin's getting ready to throw to his father, and Kevin's inner monologue tells us how there's two kinds of logic. There's logic, logic, logic. There's logic logic and 12-year-old in love logic. And how everything had been going great with Miss White until Dad entered the picture. Well, until his dad entered the picture. Jack tells Kevin, 
ball too. And Kevin says, what? And his dad tells him it was too high. And Kevin argues, it was not. Yeah, I can see it now. Kevin's taking his frustrations out on Jack over his feelings for Miss White. Although, to be honest, Kevin's always been kind of a hothead since day one. So I don't expect any less from him, especially here. He's blinded by rage and unrequited love. Not a good combo to have when you're tossing around the old baseball back and forth with your dad. This reminds me of the time my dad attempted to make a homemade baseball bat out of a large tree limb and proceeded to demonstrate how good it worked. <laughs> He'd throw a ball in the air with one hand. He'd take the bat and boosh. He's like, <laughs> It's just so funny. Just my dad would make these homemade things. Like, I don't need to buy a bat. I'll just make one out of wood. My dad was all about making things out of virtually nothing. In fact, I even tried to make my own nunchucks after seeing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of uh, Baylor twine and uh, some uh, little tree limbs stuck together. I'm sure I injured myself many times. Um, Kevin's hatred at his father's supposed moving in on his relationship with Miss White shows in Kevin's next pitch when he winds up and hammers it hard into Jack's glove, who feels that hit with a noticeable ow and look of surprise. Damn it, Kevin! Stop hurting your dad! He doesn't deserve your piss-poor attitude just because you're jealous. Jack sees this change in Kevin's stature and asks Kevin, chuckling a little, <laughs> what are you trying to do, break my hand? Kevin throws a temper tantrum slash hissy fit as well as its glove on the ground and tells him that was a strike and so was the last one. Okay, so Kevin, what I'm seeing, Kevin was the pitcher, Jack was the catcher, gotcha. Like, you, you don't throw, like, they're throwing the old ball back and forth, like, okay. Striking out a batter, Jack was a catcher, calling strikes or outs or balls or whatever baseball lingo jargon they're tossing around. As you can probably tell... I don't watch much baseball, but I did catch the Cubs winning the World Series last November, like the tail end of it. I just was like, hurry up, hurry. it's you know, well past 11 o'clock. It's like, oh, we're all going to bed. Hurry this up, hurry this up. Let's go, 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 go. They win. I see it. History in the making. I wanted to witness it. What's the matter with you? Jack asks, surprised as Kevin's outburst, who shouts back, Nothing! Heading back inside. Jack does not deserve that at all. He should have said, you know, fine. I got another son. I'll just go hang out with him then. Two years in Korea. Wait a second. I never spent two years in Korea. Got a small piece of shrapnel on my leg, but I didn't think the limp was noticeable anymore. Oh, him. Oh, barely. Hardly at all. Just a little bit, really. A question to consider. Why at that moment did I wish that I had shrapnel in my leg? Listen, I consider myself lucky. A lot of my buddies never made it out of that place. War is such a terrible thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Miss White? Was I okay today? Yes, Kevin, you were fine. Does the experience haunt you at all? Well, sure. Sure, I think about it now and again. It's only natural. I guess... Nothing's ever quite the same after going through something like that. Wait a minute. What was she doing? That was my look. She was looking at him. Dad, let's go. Now, most people don't know this, but there are two kinds of logic. There's logic logic, and then there's 12-year-old-in-love logic. 
inside. The way I figured it, everything had been going great with Miss White. Until Dad came along. Ball two. What? Too high. That was not. I hated him for it. Jesus, kid. What are you trying to do? Break my hand? was a strike, and so was the last one. What's the matter with you? Nothing! <laughs> the hell? Back in the auditorium, we see Kevin delivering his lines like he still does not give two fucks, throwing in a lot of, um, uh, like, if I were Miss White, I would have been on his ass about this. Like, Kevin, I... I do not have time for this right now. The play is this week. In fact, actually, I learned later, it's fucking tomorrow. You should know your lines perfectly. What is going on? Paul continues on with his line, and Miss White comes up on stage asking Kevin if he needs to go over his lines. Or, is something wrong? Kevin asks if he can make a phone call. She says, well, sure, and then tells everyone to take five. Outside the school, Kevin is at a payphone. We really don't see those. Those are like non-frickin'-existent now, aren't they? And calls Jack at work telling him he doesn't need a ride, that he's got one. Ah, so he's concocting a plan to get a ride from a teacher. He tells his dad he'll see him at home as the rest of the cat as the rest of the cast files out of the auditorium. Kevin's sitting in one of the chairs with his hand with his chin in his hands as Miss White walks by and stops, asking him, you know, if his father's coming to pick him up. Pick him up. And he just shakes his head, and she asks how he's getting home, and he says, walk, I guess. She offers to give him a lift home. Miss White has this cute, I don't know, I think either it's white or it's like a light, light, blue, almost white, VW bug. It's so cute and perfect for a teacher, a school teacher. As she's driving him home, we hear the song Just My Imagination playing in the background, and it really flows with the scene. She pulls up in front of Kevin's house, saying, here we are. Kevin mumbles, yeah, here we are. She's looking at Kevin like, will you please get out of my car? This is seriously awkward enough. Like, what are you waiting for? We hear Kevin's inner thoughts, how he wanted something to happen, but he didn't know what, and how he couldn't leave that car until something happened. And now we enter into his played-out fantasy of her asking when he has to be home. She turns around to face him, and we see her put her hand on his thigh, and he mumbles, Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't get a voice crack. Snapping back to reality, we see her ask him if he's all right. Yeah, I'm fine, he assures her. She tells him to get a good night's sleep because tomorrow's the big day. Are you kidding me? Tomorrow's the play and Kevin was dicking around with his lines earlier? Well, he better be ready to go then when he's on stage. Yeah, I guess we won't be seeing each other that much anymore, he admits. At least not professionally, he quickly adds. No, I guess we won't, she agrees. There's still English class, though. <laughs> you can't get out of that so easily, she tells him jokingly. Feeling his moment slip away, he looks at her, smiles, and shyly tells her, Miss White, you're pretty. Oh... 
Uh, <laughs> Kevin, buddy, don't say that. That is a line you don't want to cross, compliment or not, but she thanks him all the same. I guess it was acceptable to say that back then. Now, you, no, you don't want to even go down that road. Don't even compliment someone on the teacher on their looks. She asks if there's anything he wants to talk about. That's when we hear Kevin's inner voice admit he doesn't want to talk. He wants to take her in his arms and kiss her on the lips. That he wanted it so bad he thought he would explode. How does she not know the possible erection he's probably getting? <laughs> Wondering why he doesn't try to make his move. Being she's only two feet away from her, from him. Her being a woman and he being... And that's when he realized that as if looking down on himself, on himself from above... Miss White in the car and seeing just how ridiculous he was being. She being a woman and him a 12-year-old boy. Norma calls out the door of the house asking Kevin if that's him in the car and lets him know dinner's almost ready. And that breaks the spell. She turn, He turns to her and tells her he's got to go and she and says goodbye. Exits the car and she drives off. I wanted something to happen. I didn't know what. I just knew that I couldn't leave that car until something happened. When do you have to be home? Thanksgiving. Kevin, are you alright? Yeah, fine. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Well, you better get a good night's sleep because tomorrow's the big day. Yeah. Guess we won't be seeing each other that much anymore. At least not professionally. Oh, no, I guess we won't. There's still English class, though. You can't get out of that so easily. Yeah. I had to make a move. Some kind of move. My moment was slipping away. Miss White? You're pretty. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Is there something you want to talk about? No, I didn't want to talk. I wanted to take her in my arms and kiss her on the lips. I wanted it so bad I thought it would explode. She was right there. She was two feet away. Why couldn't I do it? Why wouldn't my muscles move? After all, she was a woman and I was a... And that's when I saw it. As though I was looking down from heaven at that VW bug. I saw an image of myself with Miss White. And it was ridiculous. She was a woman. And I was a 12-year-old boy. Kevin. 
that night of the play has arrived and we see Kevin backstage waiting to go on as we hear Dr. King's famous speech, I Have a Dream. While we while waiting, we hear Kevin's inner thoughts thinking back on the time back in the classroom when he first fell in love with Miss White, when she cried after Dr. King's speech, and how that made him feel, and how in his heart he truly believed she loved him too. It wasn't something that could be a part of real life, but that doesn't mean it wasn't there. Paul comes up to him and asks if he's ready, that he's almost on, and we see Kevin's face struck by a powerful emotion whirling around inside of him. Paul asks Kevin, what's the matter? And Kevin looks to be on the verge of tears. We can actually see a tear escaping his eye and slowly rolling down his cheek. Kevin playing, uh, the boy playing Dr. King looks to Kevin and nods him forward as he exits the stage and Paul tells him he's up, pushing him into the spotlight. He stands there wiping away a tear and we see the audience waiting in anticipation and Kevin looks off stage for encouragement. And that's when we see Miss White come forth waiting in the wings, nodding to him to continue. Kevin starts his speech. I see a more compassionate America. A nation in which all people, black, white, and brown, have an opportunity to build a better life for their children. A nation in which all people can live free of oppression and violence. Our answer is the world's hope. It is to rely on youth. And then, you know, I, it continues on, but then we hear uh, Kevin's inner monologue kind of playing over top. We see in the audience Norma grabbing Jack's arm in support and Jack looking on stoically, Karen listening intently, and Wayne, of course, taking a nap. He reminds me of Uncle Frank in Home Alone 2 during Kevin McAllister's recital. Adult Kevin comes on to narrate how he doesn't remember how he got through that speech. He just remembers the hurt, all the anger, all the disappointment, and all the love that fused together that surged through his 12-year-old body as he delivered it. He concludes his speech by saying, some men see things as they are and ask why. I, I see things as they might be and ask why not. This concludes the play and everyone claps. I see a more compassionate America. <coughs> a nation in which all people, black, white, and brown, have the opportunity to build a better life for their children. A nation in which all people can live free of oppression and violence. Our answer is the world's hope. It is to rely on youth. I don't even remember how I got through that speech. I just remember all the hurt, all the anger, all the disappointment, and all the love that fused together and surged through my 12-year-old body as I delivered it. Some men see things as they are and ask why. I see things as they might be and ask why not.
天Let me tell you guys, as I'm writing this, as I was writing this earlier, tears were literally, as they're coming out of my eyes right now, um, with the world the way it is, it scares me so much to see how we as a country have fallen since that time period. All the death that has been going on, especially lately, with the events in the UK, with Manchester and London, and as well as here in the US, with what happened in Orlando, my heart breaks for them and for us. And now I ask these questions. What will become of us? How much more can we take before we say enough is enough? <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to get emotional here about this. You you guys, I've probably noted, mentioned, I am not a political person. I take what I can from what I see on the news and try to make as much of it, much sense of it as I can. But that speech that he says, and just with everything else right now that's going on, it's just really hard to try to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know what's going to happen. Things just keep getting worse and worse. And I just hope that one day something good maybe will come out of everything. There, there's a, a reason. I, I don't know. I just don't know. But, um, yeah, sorry. I'm going to continue on, okay? Kevin sees Miss White. Tears are streaming down her face as she claps and walks to as uh, she claps and he walks to her, but suddenly stops when he sees a man rush up to her and kiss her passionately. My guess, he's her boyfriend or fiance, and the other kids rush Kevin back out onto the stage for a final bow. We see the audience clapping, and we see the Arnold family. Wayne is still sleeping. Wayne, seriously, wake the fuck up. Show respect for your brother. We hear the song, The Times They Are A-Changing, by Bob Dylan, play overhead. And we see Jack stand up and applaud. Yes! And the credits come on. That's the end of the episode, guys. Oh, I'm going to turn my timer off here so it doesn't beep. Um, time for my Flower Power episode rating. I'm giving it a full 5 out of 5 Flower Power petals. One for Kevin's ending speech. It literally brought me to tears. You guys just heard me make a mess of myself. Number two, Miss White making Jack smile. Number three, the overall message of the play. 
Number four, Kevin finally realizing his love for Miss White as a fantasy dream it really is. And five, Jack's standing ovation to Kevin at the end. I cheered when I saw him stand up. My favorite song of this episode, there was only two, Just My Imagination and The Times They Are Changing. I picked The Times They Are Changing by Bob Dylan that played at the end of the episode because that speaks so clearly of everything that was going on. I honestly wonder if someone were to write a song about what's going on right now, what that would be. Like, when 9-11 happened and those songs came out about what happened with the World Trade Center. Alan Jackson's Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning. I remember um, I was on the bus. I was already graduated. I was um, having the school bus was taking me to work and stuff. They were nice enough to do that. But I remember hearing that song on the radio and just I felt so sad just everybody came together everybody came together at that time I just hope that we're all you know coming together we're banding together you know I see the things on Facebook the you know with Paris with Manchester London all of those we're all trying to you know support you in any way we can your know, prayers what whatever you know just we gotta band together guys we gotta band together and support each other in these times because if we don't we're all gonna fall apart and we'll end up being useless it's about togetherness guys the quote of the episode it was a strange impassionate time some of our dreams dissolved into thin air. They also seem comical now, but some of our dreams are lasting and real. That played at the end of the at the episode, right? Probably right around the time before it faded to the credits. All right, who was the worst this episode? Well, Kevin, of course, for being a dick to his dad when they were playing catch in the backyard, frustrated with jealous rage, throwing the ball hard into Jack's glove, causing him to wince in pain, and then Kevin throws a hissy fit, throwing his glove on the ground. He's getting the wedgie, the lowest on the scale. Fire out threads award is going to go to Kevin for his suit in the play. He looked very dashing. My lesson learned from this episode, never act on a crush because it could end up badly for both you and the other person involved, especially if that person is an adult. Also, be open to listening to other people's views. You do not have to agree with them. Just be having an open mind. All right, here's a quick note. Next Friday, I will be skipping episode three, the Christmas episode, and saving it for December. It's in my holiday uh, rotation. I always, Christmas, strictly, strictly December. I will not watch anything Christmas related until then. Instead, I'll be doing episode four, Steady As She Goes. We see Kevin attempting to make Winnie jealous as it appears everyone in school is pairing off into coupledom. And we are introduced to one Becky Slater. Alright, let's give a shout out to some new Wonderling listeners. We have Mountain View, California, Berwyn, Illinois, El Paso, Texas, Indianapolis, Indiana, Brooklyn, New York, and an international listener from Polska, Poland. And to all you other listeners out there, thanks again for listening. I want to give a sincere thank you to all the listeners out there, whether you listen to this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or any other listening platforms that you may use to hear this podcast. 
I love giving you episode recaps of the Wonder Years every Friday. As you join me as I go into full detail as we reminisce of the days gone by with Kevin and his friends, Paul and Winnie, and the rest of the Arnold family as we as well as giving occasional running commentary and childhood stories. To t- stay connected to the podcast, you can visit my many social media sites, Facebook page at Looking Back at My On My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast, Instagram, LBOM Wonder Years Podcast, Twitter, Wonder Years Pod. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, go to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Also, if you got friends that watch Wonder Years, you know, especially guys, it's on Netflix. So if you want to follow along with me, you surely can. Also, check my social media sites, which you can access using the links on my SoundCloud account on my Looking Back on My Wonder Years a Wonder Years podcast page. I also do listener and trivia questions, so if you would like a shout-out on the podcast, all you got to do is answer them. All right, well, until next time, happy Friday, have a great weekend, and peace out, Wonderlings, and I'll see you next Friday. Bye-bye. because today we say goodbye to an amazing teacher, Mr. Collins, in today's episode of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. Hi, I'm Angela Bowen, your host, and welcome to another episode of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. As I said above, this episode, Season 3, Episode 20, entitled Goodbye, which aired on April 24th, 1990, is a tearjerker. In this episode, Kevin's grades in Mr. Collins' math class are not that good. After talking to Kevin, Mr. Collins suggests that he could give him extra lessons to help him prepare for his upcoming midterm exam. Kevin seems to be getting better until one day when Mr. Collins fails to show up. The episode opens with adult Kevin flipping through his junior high year his junior high yearbook as he looks back on the teachers he'd had and the difference they'd made in his life we see photos of mr cantwell coach cutlip mr deperna miss white slash mrs heimer and finally the camera settles on mr collins kevin's math teacher as we go from the picture into present day Mr. Collins is up at the blackboard teaching a math lesson as we see Kevin following along. Kevin tells us how Mr. Collins was like a force of nature, a mathematical whirlwind, a tornado of chalk. Mr. Collins turns to face the class and calls out two 
calls on two people to answer the equation. They both answer incorrectly. He calls on Kevin, and Kevin gets it correct. I had to cheer at that because I know that this season, math has been Kevin's struggle and downfall. But since that first episode where we meet Mr. Collins, Kevin has grown confident in his abilities to keep trying as Mr. Collins encourages him to keep looking for the answer. I enjoy seeing when a teacher takes an invested interest in their students' education and wants them to do their very best, pushing them to succeed and to not give up. The bell rings, signaling the end of class, and as the kids get up from their seats, Mr. Collins tells them to study Unit 17 in their math book. And then he has the quiz, he hands the quizzes back from last week that he has the students pass back. You know, I can't see a teacher doing that nowadays because you know the other kids will be looking at other people's grades as they're taking forever to hand the papers back. I mean, they're right there. How would you not sneak a peek? Kevin gets his paper back and is happy. He brought up his grade from a D to a C, a respectable C. On the bus ride home, Paul complains that he blew it on the last test because he got an A minus. Are you kidding me, Paul? That's still really good. I mean, you can't win them all. I'm sure Kevin would be glad to swap out his C for your A. Paul mentions he's going to tape his grade to his locker door so he can see it as a warning. Paul really wants to keep up his GPA. Hobson, of course, makes a joke how Paul must feel like kicking himself, and Kevin tells him to lay off. That's when he looks at Paul's paper and notices, Good job, Paul, was written on it. And he asks Paul what it is, and he tells him Mr. Collins wrote that. He's like, well, what is this? And he tells him, well, Mr. Collins wrote that on there. Kevin asks, well, does he do that often? And Paul says, sometimes. Paul turns back to Kevin and asks if he does that with him, and Kevin just nods like, yeah, sure, of course. Once in a while. And then Kevin thinks to himself, if by once in a while you you meant never, <laughs> Kevin decides to get to class early to have a little chat with Collins about his grades, and he asks him how he thinks he's doing overall. Then he adds, in math. He looks in his grade book and tells Kevin it looks like you've been getting C's. Kevin just looks at him, expecting a more personal touch of how he feels Kevin is doing. I think Kevin's just looking for a boost here, like he needs that reassert, reassert, reassurance that he's doing good, as if hearing it from someone else will make it more real. Collins doesn't elaborate, and then kids start filing into the classroom as he tells them to take their seats and open their textbooks to Unit 17. Collins asks Kevin if there's anything else, and Kevin mutters, no, nothing, and then he takes his seat. Later that night, Kevin's in his room doing homework at his desk when Jack comes in the doorway eating his sandwich and just kind of leans against the, against the uh, side of the door frame and he asks Kevin, you know, how's it going? So I want to play this clip because we don't see a lot of moments like this between Jack and Kevin. Except that night I couldn't get it out of my mind. How's it coming there, sport? Fine. Heard you brought home a quiz. Yeah. Another C. Mm, well, there's nothing to be ashamed of there, right? 
Right, Dad. But suddenly, for some reason, that respectable C didn't feel so respectable. Jack mentions Kevin brought home a quiz, and Kevin holds up his paper, telling him it's another C. But Jack tells him there's nothing to be ashamed of there. You know, I love how encouraging Jack is. After Jack leaves, Kevin realizes a C didn't seem so respectable anymore. And then we see later in class, the next day, as the papers are handed back, Kevin looks at his grade. For a split second when I was watching this, because it had been a while since I saw this episode, I was worried for him because I thought his grade went back down to a D. But to both my and Kevin's surprise, it's actually a B. I had pumped my fist in the air like, yes, way to go, buddy! As the bell rings, Collins reminds the class that their midterm exam is two weeks from tomorrow, and he strongly suggests that they start studying for it now. I know Kevin is flying high off that bee, but yeah, now it's time to really buckle down and hit the books. Did kids have study groups back then, I wonder? So I want to play this clip of Kevin showing off his bee to Mr. Collins and his response. I'll be right back. These are the results of Tuesday's quizzes. B. I got a B. Your midterm exam will be two weeks from tomorrow. I suggest you begin studying for it now. But who cared about two weeks from now? This was a red-letter day. Mr. Collins? Yes. Ta-da! A V. Yes. I know. Ta-da! That was it? What was it going to take here? Now, granted, it's not a way to go, Kevin, or even a good job that he was hoping to hear. He just wants some recognition. I mean, come on. He had time to write... A quick, good job, Paul, but can't celebrate with Kevin over going from a D to a B? I'd buy that boy a cake and throw him a party, especially if he brought home an A. Dissatisfied, Kevin gets to school early to have a talk with Collins. Collins tells Kevin that he gave some thought to what he had said, and even Kevin kind of raises his an eyebrow in confusion, like, um, he's probably thinking, well, what did I say? I can't remember the last time we had an actual conversation. That's when Mr. Collins tells him they don't have much time with a midterm exam coming up. They have two weeks and a lot of ground to cover, but he offers to help Kevin prepare for the test after school. Kevin starts to object how he didn't ask for any help, but Collins tells him it's a chance to do your best. Collins looks at Kevin and asks, isn't that why you came to me? You said a C is better than a D, but not as good as an A. I take it up a, I take him up on that, Kev. He's offering you a chance to do the best you can and improve instead of s- staying safe with a C. Collins looks at Kevin and tells him, I think you can get that A, Mr. Arnold, and I think you want to. Kevin looks at Mr. Collins like, are you kidding me? An A in math. Kevin starts to turn him down as Mr. Collins tells him, let me know what you decide, then he walks away. You know, he said he was catching him before he before school, but it looks like he, Collins is on his way home. Kevin stops Mr. Collins in his tracks, telling him, 
I'll never be an A student. And he turns around to look at Kevin, point blank tells him, that's up to you, Mr. Arnold. All right, I'm going to play that clip. The next morning, I showed up early for school. Mr. Collins? It was time for a talk. No holds barred. Mano a mano. I've been thinking about what you asked me, Mr. Arnold. Yeah? I believe I understand. Okay, then. No hard feelings. Let them come. The kudos, the accolades, and I think I can help. I beg your pardon? There's not much time. We can start this afternoon. Naturally, one or two questions sprang to mind. Start what? Preparing for your midterm examination. We have two weeks and a lot of ground to cover. But I didn't say anything about an exam. We can work in the afternoon after school. Wait a minute. Heck, all I wanted here was a little applause for a job well done, and he's giving me... An opportunity to do your best. Isn't that why you came to me? You said a C is better than a D, but not as good as an A. Well, sure, but I didn't mean that... I think you can get that A, Mr. Arnold. And I think you want to. An A? In math? And suddenly it was clear. The man had completely lost his mind. Look. Let me know what you decide. Mr. Collins? I'll never be an A student. That's up to you, Mr. Arnold. So we see Kevin after school as Mr. Collins is going over some equations on the board for Kevin to solve. So we see a quick shot of Kevin sitting next to Winnie on the bus as he pours over his notes. She kind of looks at him and then kind of looks away like, oh, yeah. Boyfriend's too busy studying to pay attention to me. <laughs> it, I, seriously, that scene is like a blink and you miss it scene. He, it's like there and then it's gone. Then after school, Kevin's at the chalkboard as he works out an equation on the board as Collins is sitting in one of the um, desks for the students. This guy should get Teacher of the Year. His dedication to see his students succeed is amazing to watch. He pours all of himself to give these kids a fighting chance for a future at whatever job they so desire down the road. Whatever that job has math involved, like a contractor, scientist, chemist, what have you. So we see a montage of Kevin, over the course of two weeks, wearing different shirts to show the passing of time. He felt that he and Mr. Collins were getting to know one another, as Mr. Collins challenges Kevin and helps strengthen his weaknesses. One day he's coming down the hall, down the steps of the school hallway, and goes to Mr. Collins' room for his session, but realizes that the door is locked and the lights are off in the room. He does manage to catch Collins outside of his car to get an explanation. Kevin tells him, well, we were supposed to meet today. And Collins tells him, you know, I'm sorry, Ke I'm sorry, Mr. Arnold, I have an appointment. Kevin tells him, okay, so I'll meet you tomorrow then? But Collins tells him he won't be able to then either. Kevin tells him that they still have six more units to cover, to which Mr. Collins tells him, I'm sorry, Mr. Arnold, you'll have to study that on your own. And he reminds him that you still have functions and real numbers to review. Kevin complains that he can't do those on his own, and Collins suggests you'll have to try. You know, why can't he just, you know, Kevin, work a little with Paul? Is that kind of too embarrassing, though, to maybe ask for help from a friend? I mean, I'm sure 
Back during that math class episode, back in the beginning of Season 3, Paul actually had asked Kevin if he wanted help. But of course, you know, Kevin's probably a little too proud. He doesn't want to feel like he has to ask his friend for help. He doesn't probably doesn't want to feel like he's, you know, dumb in front of Paul when it comes to that stuff. Because, you know, Paul really excels at things, especially it looks like in math. So, I, I don't know. Kevin chuckles nervously, reminding Collins that well, this whole thing was your idea. We kind of had a deal. Then pauses before asking, didn't we? Collins just apologizes and tells him, you know, I have to go. And I'll be back on Friday for the exam. Did anyone guess he might have a doctor's appointment when you first watch this? He probably set it up months in advance, and you can't really reschedule those things, especially if it's something important, depending on, you know, his health. So, Kevin feels like he's begging, pleads with Mr. Collins, but unable to find the right words, he admits, I thought you were my friend. Mr. Collins looks at him matter-of-factly and says, I'm not your friend, Mr. Arnold. I'm your teacher. Then he gets in his car and leaves Kevin standing there at a loss for words. Now, I can say right now, this teacher-student relationship they do or don't have would not happen today. No teacher and student, I don't think, would be left alone in a classroom together without red flags being raised. It's sad, but that's, I think, the world we live in these days. So, I am going to play that clip, and I will be right back. Mr. Collins. Mr. Arnold. I thought you we were supposed to... I'm afraid I can't make it today. I have an appointment. Oh. An appointment? Was he joking? The test is Friday and he has an appointment? Well, then I guess I'll see you tomorrow. I'm afraid I won't be here tomorrow either. No. Geez, the guy sure looked in a hurry to get out of there. Made you wonder if he'd robbed a cash register or something. We still have six more units to cover. I'm afraid you'll have to prepare on your own, Mr. Arnold. You still have functions and real numbers to review. Uh, that's units 12 through... Uh, I can't do those on my own. I suggest you try. They will be on the examination. Look, Mr. Collins. This whole thing was your idea. You... We kind of had a deal. Didn't we? I'm sorry. I have to go. I'll be back for the exam on Friday. Wait! I felt betrayed. Here I was, practically begging for the man to help, and he was throwing me an anvil for a life jacket. I... But there was nothing more to say. Except for one thing. I thought you were my friend. Not your friend, Mr. Arnold. Your teacher. Oh. And that was that. In spades. The big kiss-off. And I was left with nothing. <coughs> nothing but rage. Kevin feeling rage, backpedals, and fucks up his exam on purpose. A giant Fuck you to Mr. Collins, which was cruel. I know you're mad, Kev, but don't throw all don't throw away all you've learned in the in the last two weeks of hard work that you've put in. Kevin shoots daggers 
in Mr. Cowan's direction as he just stares at Kevin in surprise like, oh, what's your problem now, Mr. Arnold? Kevin just writes down a bunch of assholish answers to the questions like one was a word question he put, he put, let him get out and walk. And another question he puts, who cares? Another, so what? Another question, he draws a smiley face. Another one, he then he adds four question marks to another question. Then the last one just says, factor this, with an exclamation point. The bell rings and Mr. Collins tells everyone to bring their tests up to the front. Kevin has the nerve to drop that test up, off. He's the last, basically he's the last one to drop his test off. So it's like he was waiting till the end to basically just hand it in and just walk off. Mr. Collins looks at Kevin's test and then the look of hurt cross, that crosses across that ugh, guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> and the look of hurt across his face is palpable. It is very sad. It's like he put in the time and effort to help Kevin. Just enough to get him going so he could do this on his own. I mean, Kevin, honestly, he cannot hold your hand throughout the entire process. He can't help you take the test. He can't take the test for you. Kevin just gives him a look like, what? And then he walks out. Mr. Collins actually calls Kevin by his first name here, and it breaks my heart. Like he's pleading with Kevin in hopes of an explanation as to why he did that. I want to play this clip because we are coming on our final moment of Mr. Collins. In fact, that was probably the last word he ever said to Kevin. So I'll be right back. Mr. Arnold. Kevin. But I wasn't buying. He'd said it was up to me, so I'd made my choice. An F. A perfectly respectable F. As Kevin walks out the door, he tells us Mr. Collins left it up to him, and Kevin gave himself an F. A respectable F. Yeah, you know what else F stands for? Fool. Fuck up. And failure. Way to go, Kevin. Kevin's at home later that night and tells us he was pretty feeling pretty good about that F. All the way up till primetime TV, so probably about 8 o'clock at night. Then we see him in his chair at his desk in his room, thinking about the choice he made, and I think the guilt is starting to set in over his actions earlier that day. So we see him flip the algebra, algebra book closed. At school the next day, Kevin heads to the faculty lounge room to see Mr. Collins. The door opens, and a woman teacher answers the door. Kevin asks to speak to Mr. Collins, and then she goes back in and closes the yeah. That's when DePerna comes to the door, and Kevin asks for Mr. Collins, and DePerna tells him, well, he's not here. DePerna goes to close the door, but Kevin interjects, asking, well, can I leave him a message? DePerna looks at Kevin and must notice the sincerity in his eyes because he pulls Kevin aside and tells him, that Mr. Collins passed away this morning. You know, I really would not want to receive bad news from this guy, because he just, I don't know. So I want to play this clip, because when I was uh, 
doing the notes for this, my eyes were flooded with tears. So I'll be right back. I need to speak to Mr. Collins. Please. Just a moment. Okay, so I felt bad. For myself and for Collins. After all, he probably had a good reason for... Arnold. Can I help you? I'm, uh, looking for Mr. Collins. I'm afraid he's not here. Well, could I leave my message? Sure, set up a powwow. Formal peace talks. Anything. Mr. Collins passed away this morning. He, uh, he was at home. We just got the bad news. He's been not well for a while. It's, uh, it was his heart. I'm sorry to have to break the news to you now. I'll be making a formal announcement later in the day. Meanwhile, I'll be taking over most of his classes. How much respect Mr. Collins had from his fellow teachers? He, uh, he was a fine man. A fine teacher. When you're 13, Life is a series of events. One thing happens, then another. Things go on. Maybe it has to do with the resilience of the human spirit, the ability to survive. Anyway, by the next week, life was pretty much back to normal. For most of us. As for me, well, I'd survive too. Had my health, my friends, and of course, my own private hell. Hits Kevin like a punch to the gut. DePerna tells him they just got the news that morning, and he tells Kevin how he'd been not well. Collins had been not well for a while, and that it was his heart. So that's what the appointment appointment was for. You know, when I watched this when I was younger, I don't know why I thought it was cancer. He tells Kevin that he'll be making a formal announcement later in the day, and informs Kevin he'll be taking over most of Collins classes. I bet this is all going in one ear and out the other as Kevin's still in shock and slowly trying to process this news. We see DePerna talking to the students, telling them what a great man Mr. Collins was. Even he sounds choked up about it. I mean, this guy was a colleague of his. Kevin tells us that over the next week, things got back to normal around school. Kevin sits down to lunch with Paul and Hobson, and Hobson starts in on how the new advanced math teacher's gonna be a chick and asks Paul if he'll become the new teacher's pet as he grabs Paul's paper after noticing that he got another A. Kevin's not in the mood for Hobson's shit and tells him so calling both of him both him and Paul clowns like you guys are such clowns and then Hobson's like Ooh! and Kevin's just oh he is pissed he's not having this at all and he Flips, I'm guessing, Jello onto Hobson's shirt. And that's when Hobson jumps up and he's like, hey! DePerna walks up to their table and asks, what's going on here? Kevin tells him, nothing, it's nothing. 
Deperna tells Kevin, I want to see you in my classroom at 3 o'clock sharp. Kevin heads to Colin's old classroom. It's really weird to see Deperna sitting in Colin's chair. He tells Kevin something odd has happened as he pulls out the midterm exams and plops them onto the desk. As he tells Kevin that they're all there, except his. Deperna says the tests were graded the week that Collins passed, but Kevin's was somehow misplaced. Then Deperna says, well, what are we going to do about that? Because you need a grade. So Deperna shows Kevin a blank test that has his name written on it, and he gives him 50 minutes. I want to play this scene as Kevin takes his test, as all the thoughts swirl around his head about how Mr. Collins treated him like a man when he acted like a child, and how he realized now that he didn't need Collins for the answers, because he knew them. I'll be right back. As I took that test, I thought about a lot of things. About how I knew him. And yet, I didn't. About how he treated me like a man, and how I'd acted like a child. About how I let him down, and now I wouldn't. The thing is, even though I could almost feel him in the room, I knew I didn't need him for the answers, or the praise. I was on my own now. Good job, Mr. Collins. Deperna comes up to his desk as Kevin flips his test paper over and looks at Deperna telling him, You don't need to grade it. And he tells him, It's an A. And Kevin gathers his belongings and... <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. I'm just a little choked up here because I was playing that scene out for the clip and already my voice is getting a little choked up right now. So Kevin gathers his belongings and walks out but stops in the doorway when a voice calls him back. He turns and sees Mr. Collins sitting at his desk in haloed light. Kevin looks at him and smiles. Good job, Mr. Collins. And walks out of the room and down the hall as we hear Linda Ronstan's song, Goodbye, My Friend, play overhead. That scene of Mr. Collins at his desk in that haloed light calling out to Kevin gives me goosebumps every time I watch it. It's so powerful. The actor Stephen Gilborn does an amazing job here. The actor actually passed away in 2009 at 72. I remember
remember him best, as probably everyone does, as Mr. Collins on The Wonder Years. Even though he only had three episodes, and they were in season three, they were three of some of the most memorable episodes of the season that I can think of. I also remember him, um, he played, in the Brady Bunch movies, he played Mike Brady's boss, the, when Mike Brady was played in the movies by Gary Cole. So, there's a scene of the yearbook where we see Mr. Collins, which looks like an uh, In Remembrance page in the yearbook. So, after that, the scene fades to black with the credits coming up. So, it's time for my Flower Power episode rating. I'm giving this episode 5 out of 5 Flower Power petals. 1. For Mr. Collins helping Kevin get prepared for his midterm exam. 2. For Jack encouraging Kevin in his schoolwork. 3. For Mr. Collins giving Kevin a chance to make up his test even after he had passed away. He knew Kevin was angry and wanted him to have a second chance to prove himself and ace that exam. 4. For Mr. DePerna taking Kevin aside and personally telling him that Collins had passed away. I think he must have seen the sincerity in Kevin's eyes, otherwise he probably would have just slammed the door, the faculty lounge door in Kevin's face. And five. For Kevin realizing he didn't need his teacher's help any longer because he knew the answers. And for Mr. Collins' last appearance as a ghost, as Kevin turns to him and tells him, Good job, Mr. Collins. Also, when Kevin had dropped off his test the first time and Mr. Collins called him Kevin, that broke my heart because he really tried to reach him there, but Kevin was too angry to bother to turn around. My Wonderling Words of Wisdom I'm sure there are many of us, some of us out there, who at one point in their life has had a teacher or a mentor that has made an impact on their life. I know of a few that I had growing up when I was younger in elementary school and high school. They were teachers who took the time to listen when I had a problem or encouraged me to do better at school. Looking back on this now, as I'm in my mid-30s, I wish I could have that kind of impact on someone's life. I do these podcasts for fun, but hope that maybe I'm making someone feel better or something. My Wonder Years quote of the episode, narrator, Teachers never die. They live in your memory forever. They were there when you arrived. They were there when you left. Like fixtures. Once in a while they taught you something, but not very, not that often. And you never really knew them any more than they knew you. Still, for a while, you believed in them. And if you were lucky, maybe there was one who believed in you. Now, we don't normally get a whole lot of IMDb user reviews on the episodes. For, I always check. I always like to make sure whether I see trivia or IMDb user reviews. But there were a few for this episode. So I can tell I wasn't the only one who was hit in the emotional feels with this episode. So let's see what others had to say, shall we? This one, the first one is titled, No Need to Grade It, It's an A. I must echo the previous reviewer's sentiments regarding this episode. It truly is one of the memorable and meaningful of the series. I recently caught this episode again, and I was surprised just how much of it I remembered. Nearly the entire episode. Not bad for having watched it for 20 years. 
And that's unmistakably what's so great about this particular episode. It is heartwarming and heart-wrenching, watching Kevin truly embrace his emotions and not be as confused by them like he usually is. We also empathize and sympathize with his loss because we've seen Kevin and Mr. Collins go back and forth for a while now. This, I believe, is Mr. Collins' third time being the centerpiece of the episode. What's also amazing rewatching these episodes is the chance we now all have to look back on our own lives. First watching this when I was not even a teenager, I merely viewed it as a chance to get to know how it was like growing up in the late 60s and early 70s middle America. Now, however, I do reminisce about my past teachers and how I appreciate them now. One last notable item about this episode is the end song. Linda Ronstant's Goodbye My Friend is fitting, and if you happen to be in a reminiscing state, it might catch you vulnerable. That is a really beautiful review. The second one, one of the best Wonder Years episodes ever. Mr. Collins is a difficult math teacher, and Kevin is having a hard time in class. But with a little inspiration and nudging, Kevin learns to appreciate the older gentleman's tutelage. Kevin learns to respect Mr. Collins and actually starts enjoying his class, as he sees it not only as a challenge, but also as an opportunity to learn something. You can see that the two characters are starting to connect and understand one another as Kevin starts to get serious about the class and Mr. Collins embraces the seriousness and works with Kevin to help him learn. This episode is a complete gem and a treat to watch, clearly one of the best, if not the best episodes in this program's run ever. This one's kind of interesting. It's comparing math class, the season three, episode two, is it two or three um, of this season? They're comparing that episode to the goodbye episode. So goodbye is one of the more touching episodes of the Wonder Years. Mr. Collins reminds me so much of my junior high math teacher, Mr. Lattice's, you know, um, so he was one of the reasons that this reviewer became a math teacher himself. I especially enjoyed how the writer's book ended the first episode we were introduced to Mr. Collins. At the very end of that episode, math class, Kevin walks up, turns in his grade, and says, you don't need to grade it. It's an F. Then in this episode, goodbye, at the end, Kevin hands his test to Mr. DePerna and says, you don't need to grade it. It's an A. All right, here's another review. One of the best. All credit to the late Stephen Gilborn for his touching performance as Mr. Collins in one of the finest episodes of The Wonder Years. I remember seeing this with friends, and we were very moved by this emotional episode that touches all the buttons. To this day, I still have very vivid memories of this episode of The Wonder Years, which has to be one of the best series ever. Also, all credit to the writing team for such an endearing story, as it was quite unpredictable in parts, and it ended up being a story of redemption for Kevin. So, here's the last one, entitled, Mr. Collins. I admit it. I cried at the end of this epi outstanding episode. Everything about this particular episode was perfect. Outstanding acting and a fantastic script. If you have ever met someone who truly inspired you to be a better person, then you can understand how this touched my heart. I gave it 10 out of 10, yet the melancholy ending stayed with me for a while. Still, this is probably the best episode of the entire series. Alright, that's the end of the IMDb reviews. 
So join me this weekend, so tomorrow, for Season 3, Episode 21, Coco and Sympathy, which aired on May 1st, 1990. In this episode, when Paul is voted brainiest on this year's Lisa Berlini poll, he goes through some self-esteem problems. That is, until Kevin's mom tries to help Paul's confidence, and in return, Paul develops a little crush on Kevin's mom. So I will play a little clip from that episode, little preview, and... All of you have a wonderful day, and I will be back tomorrow for another episode. Bye-bye. On the Wonder Years. The Berlini Pole. Read them and weep, cupcakes. Who cares about a stupid pole, anyway? Guess you got best smile. I have best eyes. Brainiest. There's nothing wrong with being brainy. Hey, big brain. Man, I'd rather be ugliest than brainiest. Four eyes. Pretty attractive, huh? Who said you were ugly? See, stupid glasses. Glasses can make the man. Think so? You're a very special person, Paul. Because I'd never really thought about it that way before.